Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, good morning. My name is Brittany, if I haven't met you, and it's so great. It's Easter Sunday. How fantastic to be here. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, it's great. If this is your first Easter ever, you've actually come on one of the biggest celebration services that we have. It's wonderful to be in the room. We've even got people back out there. It's, yeah, you're way back there. It's great. Um, And I love gathering. I don't know about you, but I still am feeling the awe and wonder of being in a room with so many people. Hearing our voices just now singing, how rich that is after a couple of years of not being able to do that. And today, what are we celebrating? Jesus is alive. He is risen. We're celebrating that resurrection life, that beautiful image that he has come back. Resurrection, it's a powerful thing. But also it's something we're not very used to. We don't talk about resurrection very often, or perhaps it's just in reference to other things that are being resurrected. The thing that I could think of is um, the different fashions. People might say, oh, the 90s fashion is being resurrected at the moment. How well that's going, I'm not sure. Um, It's a bit mixed. That's usually how we use the word, resurrection of different things from the past. But actually today, I want to look at that word because I believe the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, has an impact on your life and on my life today in 2022. Resurrection has an impact on your life and my life. The common thought, though, is that maybe this is an older idea. Haven't we progressed? This happened ages ago. Mainstream perspective is, oh, no, we're we're beyond that, Brit. We're, We're not there anymore. That's heavily influenced by the Enlightenment, which happened in the 18th century, but I won't get into details because it's not a history class. But the main point is what I'm trying to convey, what, what came out of that was this view and this value that happiness and progress is the way forward. That's what we should seek. And we see echoes of this throughout all of our world, right? Instagram tells us stories, advertising, everything echoes that. Pursue happiness if you know a little bit more, if we're more educated. We will progress. It's this beautiful image of, oh, yeah, we're going to progress to something greater. That's the story we're told. But actually, it's a myth. As a progressed society here in the West, what's actually come of that? If you bring up the news app, if you watch the news at night, there are some repeated themes from history. The Ukraine, we're in war again. Hasn't this happened before? I thought we'd progressed. The floods in Africa. The food crisis that's happening as a result of COVID-19 and as a result of war. Have we progressed? Have these things changed? Or are we actually in the same place we were? This story of the Enlightenment has failed us. It's not actually true. Increasingly, we're seeing the myth of progress. It's just that, a myth. Wars, pandemics, natural disasters, economic crisis, cycles through and through if you look back in history. And so it leads to that question that we have when we look at it globally and when we see that in our own lives, that cycle. Will it ever change? 
What's going to bring that change? Can we hope for something else? There is a different story. I want to read Romans 8 because I feel like it conveys more what life is like. Romans 8, 18 to 25 said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Doesn't this echo more of what our life is like? The words in there, the groaning of the world, the floods, the things we've seen in Australia, overseas, the war, the suffering, the bondage, the decay, we experience that. We experience it in our bodies, our health. But also we experience the freedom and glory and we desire that redemption, that hope. This passage is a beautiful representation of that. It speaks of the reality of what we live in, but it also speaks to that deep desire we have for it to be different. It talks about this hope. Brennan Manning says that suffering and loss touch every life. Every life in this room will have been touched by suffering or loss. But also, as does the presence of God in Christ. If we have faith in his presence and hope in his promise, suffering and loss touch every life, but as does the presence of God in Christ, if we have faith in his presence and hope in his promise. This is what Romans is talking about. It's this beautiful imagery of all of creation and us as a part of that. We need to step out of our story to understand it, to understand what this hope means. What does it represent? What is it? And we need to go back and look at the story of creation, of God, the bigger story. The Bible is a story. We are designed to understand life through story. And the Bible is this beautiful espresso of this, this story, this challenge of creation. It's like this river that builds from the Old Testament and a current continues to build and grow and create momentum. And then you get to the Gospels and then it hits this point of Jesus on the cross. It's all pointing towards that. Maybe at this time of year you hear that, that saying, that Gospel in one sentence from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what this Old Testament leads us to, the Gospels, this river, to this point at the cross. And then the meaning of that goes out into all different directions. For God to love the world, that gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. 
But what is that? It's another phrase, another word that we hear, but what does it mean? Well, in Hebrew, the word is olam, and it means life unto the age. It's how the Bible describes what life is. How do you measure the life in an age? Life unto the age, everlasting life, eternal life. We see it first mentioned, olam, in Genesis, when God created humanity, Adam and Eve, he gave them life. He breathed into them. He placed them in a garden, surrounded by life, representing life, a garden beautiful, rich in colour. And he invited them not only to live in this garden, but to experience life, his divine life, to eat of the tree. The tree of life. He offers this to them, this endless potential. But if you know that story in Genesis, humanity chooses something else. Adam and Eve, instead of choosing life, this everlasting life, they choose life on their own terms. They eat of the tree of knowing good and bad. And so this, this gift of life is then exchanged for death, and they're exiled. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of this story from that point on, is the opportunity to change that, changing that. That's what Roman 8 talks about. It echoes that. And the promise is from that moment on that God will open a way back, that humanity does not have to remain in exile, in death. He will open a way back to life, his divine life. As we read before in verse 24 of Romans 8, for in this hope we were saved. This is the hope we're talking about, that promise that God has given, that divine life. This is why we're here. This is what today represents. Jesus' death and resurrection. He's broken that cycle that Adam and Eve began. He has broken it. Therefore, death has been defeated. It's no longer an end. He's transformed it into a pathway. He went into death and he brought life. He straddled those two worlds. Resurrection, what we're celebrating today, is a passage through. Now, there's a key nuance here with the word resurrection that we might get wrong, and sometimes we mistake. We think more about resuscitation rather than resurrection. I was a nurse before I became a pastor, and I had to learn how to resuscitate someone's life. CPR, we've all, well, many of us have done it. You know, when you're in those classes, kind of just practicing on this really weird dummy, kind of there, just working on it. This is all humanity can, can do and can offer. We can resuscitate. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about resurrection. And Mary, just as Mark read, Mary of Magdalene had experienced a change in her life. Jesus had come to her and transformed her life. She'd experienced that resuscitation, that experience of my life is different. I was on the edge of death. I was lost. And Jesus changed her life. And so when she comes to the tomb on the morning of Resurrection Sunday, the, the day that we are in today, when she arrives at the tomb, She's looking for a, a resuscitated Jesus. She's asking for that because that's what she's known. 
But Jesus says to her, no, Mary, I have more. I want to give you resurrection life. That's what I'm representing today. Don't cling to the way I was before. Don't hold on to that. Something's changed. There's more. I want to offer that to you. Some of you today believe, I believe you believe that we want this resurrection life. Yes? To partake in that, that we are deeply craving that. But sometimes we're okay with resuscitation or we just are all right with that. It's like our life, we're sitting there just trying to keep it alive. What else can I use to help me stay alive? And we're tired and exhausted from the endlessness of using other things to keep us alive. Just as Jesus called out to Mary, he's calling out to you calling your name, saying, you don't have to do that anymore. He wants to give you resurrection life. Let go of the things that you're clinging to that can only resuscitate. That's his invitation. Sometimes we're afraid to because we're afraid of hearing that flat line. What happens? But the thing is, if we remember, Jesus was just like us. He died. He has explored all that is of death and he has conquered it, so he will not lose you there. He calls you from it just as he calls Mary. He can break that cycle and say, I want to give you resurrection life. This morning, Jesus is saying to you, trust me. Let go of the things that are just giving you life in this form. I want to give you more. I want to give you everlasting life, eternal life, because he loves you. For God so loved the world, he came towards you. He came to this world to be with you, to rescue you from that cycle, to give you everlasting life. That's why, that you may experience hope, just as it speaks of in that Romans passage, to walk in freedom and love, in redemption, Jesus is offering you eternal life. He asks you to trust and believe that when you let go of your life, he will restore it and renew it because he loves you. Jesus loves you and he wants that for you and he died to make that possible. The other temptation that we fall into as followers of Jesus. Maybe you've been following for a while. When we think about resuscitation and resurrection, sometimes we have this temptation to think that God will just give us back what we're giving up. I'll just give it up to God. I know that you want me to, and I know this is part of being a disciple. And we want him to return it the way we had it. That's resuscitation, not resurrection. God's like, no, I want to give you more. Trust in me. It's the same, whether it's the first time you're trusting Jesus or the second or third or those times over and over again. Believe and trust that I will give you more. He said to Mary, don't cling to me, not the way you've had me before. Jesus wants to expand who he is in your life. And every time he offers that opportunity to trust in him, 
to let go and trust that he will bring it back in more fullness and more life is that opportunity to do that. That is eternal life. Don't cling to the way you had me before, Mary. This is what he says, and this is what he says to us. Release so I can offer more, so I can show you more of who I am. The Christian life, the life as a disciple, is about letting go a lot of the time, but to receive more. We are resurrection people. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. And Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. If you read about it in Matthew 5, what does he say? We're going to be people who are poor in spirit, but we're blessed. Mourners, but we're blessed. Brokenhearted, hungry for justice, peacemakers. He said to us, I have overcome the world. Don't worry. You may have trouble, but I have overcome it. That's what we celebrate at Easter. He promises to be with us in this world. That echo of Romans again, that hope. Despite what we might experience, there is hope. Jesus promises to be with us and he offers that eternal life. Jesus, when he is resurrected, he returns the disciples. Just after the passage Mark wrote, read, he returns the disciples and he, he meets with them and he meets with Thomas. Unfortunately, Thomas is named Doubting Thomas for a reason. He doesn't believe that it's happened. Jesus comes before him and he says, look, look at these hands. Touch them, Thomas. The nails that were in my hands, the wound is still there. Put your hand in my side. Believe that I have risen, that I am resurrected. What does this tell us? Why is it in the Bible Why is there a point of resurrection and Jesus coming back and showing these wounds? It's because we will be the same. There are things in your life that have marked you, things that have wounded you, that have been difficult and painful. And the opportunity as resurrected people is to not feel shame from those that when we are resurrected, they don't disappear. They didn't on Jesus, but actually they're testament. Other people will see that in you. They'll recognize the pain that you've experienced may be the same as theirs. There's that connection. You know what it's like to sit in this pain of grief, of loss, whatever it looks like. But there's something different because not only do they see the same pain, they see that you're not overcome by it. It does not define your life. That has not had the final say. Because like Jesus, he offers, we are the resurrection people. We carry this hope. We represent that. Although their wounds may be there, they no longer define life. Jesus has overcome death. It has no say. And it is the same for us. And so we carry these wounds, not as a thing of shame, but actually of evidence and of the fruit of God, the gospel, the truth, the life, eternal life, transformed and changed. We represent that verse in eight, Romans 8, 21, that we have been liberated from the bondage and decay of sin and death and brought into the freedom of the glory of God. That's what those wounds represent. I love the way N.T. Wright talks about it. Talks about that phrase when someone is really ill and really unwell. Sometimes we say, Oh, they're only a shadow of themselves. 
As resurrection people, you carry a shadow of your future self. You have that now, here. Most people think that eternal life is after we die. No, Jesus offers that now. We carry that shadow of a future self. What is to come? Jesus returning, resurrection, that is that shadow. That means that we can offer that age to all people. That's why he came back, to offer it to every single person. That includes you in the room right now and me and those closest to us. Those we don't even know. Jesus did this for all people. And he invites us to experience eternal life here and now. And so as we await Jesus' return, as we think about Resurrection Sunday today, it is a celebration. It is a reminder that the kingdom has come. God is at work. And we have been called forward as resurrection people. Not only do we have this resurrected life for ourselves, but actually, as it speaks of in Romans 8, we participate in the renewing of creation. Those groans are being transformed into freedom, life, and more. We've been called forward. We've been appointed as resurrected people to bring that to earth as Jesus does. He taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. This is not something we wait for until we're in heaven. This is for now. You have a purpose. Your vocation as a resurrected person, as a follower of Jesus, is to bring that, to speak that, to build that, to speak that over other people, to encourage. That is our purpose. And it's not wasted. When Jesus returns, it will be restored. All of this builds towards that. We are designed to participate. God's life-giving, liberating purposes for the world. They've begun. They began when Jesus rose from the grave. That's where we're here. That's what we're celebrating. So when we reflect on resurrection, it's not something that we're meant to think of at a later time. It's not this ancient thing. Actually, it's very present to our lives. It gives us purpose and vocation. It speaks to the pain that we feel as people, as a society, as a world, and it transforms it into that hope that there will be a time when all will change. And it gives us an imperative to work now in the present, to participate. The purpose has already begun. Let's be a part of it. Let's step into that. Let's share it. What are the signs of freedom and hope that we're called as resurrected people to bring to God's world today? What has he placed on you and I to bring that today, to not just speak of it, but represent it, to be confident in it and to celebrate it? Why don't you join me as I pray? Lord Jesus, we are so, so in awe of who you are. In the power of your life, your death and your resurrection. And we stand today to celebrate and thank you for that. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way that you have brought that resurrection life to the people in this room, for the opportunity you offer right now for those who are yet to experience it, that you beckon us forward towards you. Thank you that you give us purpose and meaning. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified as we walk as resurrected people. 
May you teach us what that means to offer that hope and life to others. We stand in awe of you today. May you have your way. Holy Spirit, speak to us as we sit and sing and declare and as we remember the power of your life, death and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Precious Saviour, King and Lord. Amen. Amen.